What's up, everyone? Snap Refund fam. This is Cody Eddings, CEO of Snap Refund, here with my co-founder, Anise Taylor. We got a cool episode for you today. So I want to hop right into it. Uh, Anise, I just wanted to ask you about how you feel about how the business is going. I mean, that's that's a loaded question. I mean, there's so many different ways to look at it when you really think about how the business is going. Um, well, let's start with the business is going and building a startup is not easy. So we can't sit here, or at least I can't sit here and make it seem like it's all hunky-dory and everything is going great because it, it it's definitely hitting that when you're a startup and the resources and you're not finding that right product market fit and you start reaching out to VCs and you're getting rejected and just all these different things are happening, you start to question yourself. So there's that part. But in as far as the business, we are still up and running. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited that we are still operational. We're, we're working hard to solve people's problems and making sure they're getting faster payments. So these are all, which is really great about being chief operating officer, is that that's rolling. We're clicking on all cylinders. There's no hiccups in our operation. We're moving. It's just building the business. It's so hard because it really comes down to sales, right? It's like that is the oxygen of a company. How do you feel like the business is going? Yeah, you said it best. We definitely have some really tough challenges facing us. We got runway crunch, which is the kiss of death for startups. You have to fight against it. And that's what we're doing in fundraising and getting more revenue with sales and making sure that the assets we have on deck last us long enough. Um, so it's tough because we only have a few more months of runway, essentially, which means we need to make sure that we're locking in enough partners to actually be able to sustain ourselves. But really, it really means locking in partners to raise a, a round because any SaaS play, um, especially like a payments SaaS play, is typically not going to generate enough revenue to be self-sustaining until it gets to scale. So that's tough. Um, so I feel good, but also pretty stressed. It, it's definitely tough. Yeah, I can agree with you. I mean, that's why when you asked me that question, I'm thinking like, ah, oh, well, how's the business going? There's, it, it, I mean, there's different facets of it. I think for me, what I just appreciate and I'm grateful for is to have a business, right? Being, being an entrepreneur, you come into anything with just an idea, right? And it's like you have to invent and create this thing from nothing and make it into something that is productive. And being able to go through the process with you and, and see from where we started from the idea point and all the ups and down to actually being an operational business because we do generate revenue. Our business generates revenue. We generated revenue. It's just that, you know, working on a transaction formula you need more transactions. So you need more people to use your platform. And we want it organic. We want people to actually find real value, meet it through word of mouth and use Snap Refund and be so impressed with it. And that really just takes with just being in the market, learning, getting user feedback, 
then from there taking that user feedback and then making it even better. So I think that's the fun part that I really just enjoy. And I'm really grateful to have that part. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting question to think about the viability of a business model that's based on transactional revenue for a payment processing play. I don't really think it is. I think that's part of the problem with fintechs in general today is that they have to find some way to be of value beyond the actual ability to send a payment itself. Because being able to send a payment itself is already so ubiquitous with just being able to connect to, you know, the plethora of APIs that do that. So it's a question for me of, all right, what are the things that Snap Refund does or can do that add value beyond the payment itself? Because trying to eat off of, you know, like this sense from a, a transaction, you better have like a couple million transactions pretty quickly. Oh, you're muted, by the way. When you say that, um, what was the thing that you said before you got to have a couple million transactions? You said that there there is a couple things that you need to know what to do. So within that, what do you think it is that we should do? Not even to get to a couple million transactions with just one, our listeners that's listening for the first time while we level set with them what Snap Refund does. And then two, is from what we've learned, what is that that we do that can generate that, that revenue that we're looking for? And maybe not with a couple million transactions, but but just a, a, a million transactions. Let's start there. Start at the Milski, huh? Yep. Yeah, so Snap Refund's a payment platform. We partner with businesses, small businesses, medium-sized businesses, insurance businesses, adjacent businesses, and we give them a payment platform that allows them to send instant funds. Now, that in of itself, it's cute. It's great in a lot of ways as far as the UX and the functionality beyond that that we have, like payment cancellation, helping the underbank get paid more easily. But it in and of itself is not the winning formula yet. That's the foundation for what will grow into a more specific use case that becomes the winning formula until we have resources to jump to the next vertical where we find a new winning formula and build up what we already have. So there's this big piece around reconciliation that I've started to appreciate more and more in the past few weeks where being able to send payments is a good start, but you could almost treat that like, you know, that's just like a baseline function. Being able to do things beyond that that are of value is crucial. And I'm thinking that based on a lot of the customers we've talked to, being able to help people better manage their books and the actual final settlement and reconciliation of all their payments is a really important piece that is a lot of times left up to people who are either really specialized and they do it by hand or they have a few tools to help them. But there doesn't seem to be a baked-in solution with a lot of systems out there like ours yet that will help people make sure that the money that's coming in and going out is all aligned with what they would expect. So within just what the user want to expect, and I love the piece on the reconciliation because it's something that we've talked about, right? And just being able to not only help people move money, 
but also how people save money. I think that that's one thing that's never really discussed when it comes to payments and operations is just that functionality of, you know, sending the same check to the same person twice. Um, and so within having a platform like Snap Refund, there's a lot of barriers that we could develop and put into place that can really just, you know, help that process. In so we're saying how much time would you say in terms of just the resources that we have today from an operational standpoint? And this is for people out there that's listening to this podcast, like real entrepreneurs. We are real entrepreneurs. There is nothing fiction about what we're doing. This is all facts, right? We wanted to do this podcast because we really wanted people to like walk with us and go through this journey with us and learn at the same time as we're learning because we're sharing things with you. How many months of runway do we have? And what are the things that is going to help prolong that? And, and what is happening on that term? Well, as the interim CFO, you could probably answer the timing question better, but probably got it about a quarter. If I just had to like, you know, eyeball it, um, maybe two quarters. And what are the things that help? Exactly what we've been talking about. You need sales or you need investment. And you really need both. How does that work, though, from a catch-22? Because I've been in those meetings where, so you're in these sales meetings, you're, you're, you're explaining the solution that you got. You know the solution works, and you know that, hey, it's only a matter of time before you adopt to the solution. Okay, so we're telling you that we're, we're, we're coming to you because our expertise is diving and finding all the, the most relevant information to help speed up your claims payment process. We're doing everything that we can within payment rails. We're, we're, we're diving into it so we can help you with that. But the thing about it is that we're getting the answers of companies that say, well, we're not ready to buy it until you get that first partner. So once you get that first, ins once you get that first insurance partner, not small business, because we do have seven, but that first insurance partner then will join with you. So now here you are like, all right, well, this is like, okay, well, you get that first partner, but you're not willing to be the first partner or working to be a pilot. How does that make you feel when you're going through those 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 meetings and you, and you see it's going great and still picking yourself up every day? Still as a CEO, you have to pick yourself up every day and say, hey, it's going to be all right. Let's get back into this fight. How do you feel about that? part of the game you know that's how it goes for real you have to try your hardest to not get too uh perturbed by the parts of it that are just always going to be part of it and that situation is one that we experience in the buyer's chair on the flip side as well i mean how many people message you on linkedin every day saying like use our service use our service well sometimes and it's time to actually pull the trigger on it you might be willing to go with a startup or a smaller company because there's advantages to doing that. But there's also a lot of disadvantages and a company is going to tend to make a decision that's best for them because that's what a company is. It's a typically a for-profit organization. So it really is just part of the game. You have to really have something valuable enough. I think that makes being a startup not matter as much because the solution itself is so valuable to them or they're winning 
so hard in some way that it becomes a situation where they just have to say yes. And that's part of finding that product market fit that we're getting towards. So I actually wanted to ask you about that in particular. Um, speaking about product market fit, you know, Snap Refund has gone through at least two pretty strong pivots over the course of its life cycle. So what are some of the signs you look for in reading market signals uh, to either know when to pivot or know when to push harder in the direction you're going? Uh, we're in that right now. We're in that right now. I think I think what really has to happen is, and which is what we're looking for, is those signs, right? It's because, all right, well, one, you have an idea. You know that it will work in a specific industry. You can't focus all your energy on, on multiple things. You have to really just lock in it to one, right, and focus all that energy. And we've decided that we're locking into the insurance industry. We've decided that we want to make claims payments process better, better for the insurance company, better for the policy member, po uh, policyholder. Um, so we want to do that. We've decided that we focus on building the technology towards that. So having those data points and building in that, that system that is relevant to the industry. So we're spending a lot of time, we're spending resources in, but we're also trusting ourselves and we know the hand that we have because we know that in this industry, 70% of the industry is st still processed with checks. We're moving into a new era, a new revolutionary era that's being digitalized. And things are happening on the web and things are happening in instant speed that maybe some of the older folks are not really hip to, but the younger folks are. You know, and so it's like we know that this is gonna this is gonna make a change. So we have to we have to double down. We have to stand firm on that. But at the same time, it, how much resources can you go through before you realize, okay, they're not selling to you. You need to go start going to maybe a different party and start selling there. So that's why I say I, we're in the middle right now. I'm not really quite sure which way to go with it, but I do know that I'm doubling down. I knew I do know that this is the industry that we want to be in. I do know that whenever there's opportunities and if we're building something that serves the greater good, serves society, those opportunities are going to come to us. That's how we've been able to work with the small businesses that we do today. You know, and and there's things that we're learning from them and we still speak to small businesses today. It's not like locking in those small businesses are just as easy. You know what I mean? Some are just as hard. So it's really about just finding those opportunities, learning, but it's also about believing in what you came to do. And what we came to do is, is help people get greater control of their money with SNAP Refund. We want to make the insurance process just a, a better customer experience all the way until you get your payment, all the way until that. And we want to make sure that everything that's happening on the back end for the company is all the necessary data, is everything that they need right at the palm of their hand, right there, right on that screen, everything that they need, that they can just be as seamless as possible with a, a magnificent workflow and making sure that the user, when they really need it, they can get their money. I, you know, I, I, I think that's what really allows me to focus on, I want to double down, is because that I know 
that there are people in moments of natural disasters or moments of really catastrophic accidents that are going through or, or life events that are going through really turbulent times in that. And imagine, just at least in America, because we're operating domestically, imagine if the person on the receiving end, when they're making sure that they're giving you every payment that you need on time, that when it's time for them to get reimbursed and for them to get their payment, that that experience makes them feel whole. It makes them feel safe. It makes them feel appreciated. Do you know how many more policies are going to be sold? Do you know how many more terms can be put into that when you have that type of experience with somebody in such a in such a really down and dark time and and how much benefits that will come with the money when they can get it instantly and digitally and and in ample time as opposed to the opposite reaction? So, you know, that I, maybe what maybe I have a better answer at our next podcast. But that's how I'm feeling today. Let me cut back in. You didn't answer my question. I love the sales pitch, but what are the market signals or how do you read market signals to know when to pivot or when to stick with what you're doing? Well, well, well that's what I said is I, I, don't, I can't give you that answer because there's no market signal right now that's telling me to go away from insurance. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean for us. I mean, for anyone listening, businesses have so many facets. Well, well, what do you think? What what would you think in terms of businesses that would be a good market signal? Uh, so reading market signals, a way to read them to know if you have product market fit or not. I think the key are looking at the numbers. Are people signing up? That's like the first biggest one, right? And comparing that with the average life cycle of a deal in your industry can tell you a little bit about where you're at in the process. It's hard for us because the average deal cycle is like five years, like three to five years in insurance. So you and I might not even, you know, make it to five years from now to see if the deals we put in the pipeline today will pan out. It's hard to get that feedback quickly. It's more of an insure tech specific problem. But in general, that's a great way to know if it's taking you longer to close deals and it takes other people doing something similar in your industry, that's a good market signal to read. So then if we're talking about market signals to read, do you feel that all the market signals are reading that we should pivot? Yeah, I I don't know. I don't think so in regards to pivoting out of insurance. Pivoting but I out do of think so. I do think so around pivoting into which pocket within insurance because we tried to sell to the carriers for a long time and it just takes so long and they make decisions so slowly. It just, it's such a hard, hard road for a startup to go that path of selling to carriers. It's super, super bureaucratic. But on the flip side, now we're starting to learn a little bit more about EPAs and MGAs of certain sizes and certain lines of business that have a faster sales cycle. So pivoting into that, like we have been for the past quarter or two, has already given us more promising leads so that was a signal, I think, that we had to, to listen to and follow. Um, there's also opportunity found in other lines that aren't even insurance related necessarily, but are interrelated with the insurance ecosystem, like adjacent businesses. Pivoting to those is probably worthwhile if we don't close a deal like we're hoping to in the next month and a half, two months here in the insurance space specifically. 
uh, or with like the MGA TPA space, I could say. So a big part of knowing when to pivot, in my opinion, is really understanding what is a rational projection and how are you comparing to that? Like what's your performance against that? And, and, and the other question that I have for you is why wait a couple of months? Do you think that you can wait when it's too late? Oh yeah, it's a huge problem. I mean, you don't have enough resources to go in. Uh, what's that so weekend song? Out if, of time. Well, if 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 it's out of time and you feel like time is running out, why wait those couple months as opposed to doing that now? Yeah, what you say earlier that splitting your eggs across multiple baskets is tough because then you start to dilute your message and your offering. So it's really hard to try to chase multiple rabbits, basically. Um, so as much as you can get feedback early and often without having to commit too much to learn from it is super crucial in my opinion for a startup because you just don't have a million people you don't have a whole like you know 13th floor of sdrs to go chase individual verticals each and see which ones come back with the best results we got two people it's you and me so we have to make sure that we can maximize what you and i can do and then build on that yeah yeah I mean, because it is a lot of work. It definitely is. I mean, just even from an operational standpoint, you know, um, it it is. But are you having fun? Yeah. Yeah. It's. I don't think there's anything else I could do besides this that would make me feel as excited to try to make something work, you know? And maybe I'm just partially crazy, but I think you got to be a little crazy to uh, really enjoy entrepreneurship to its fullest because it's a very risky endeavor and it's super, super satisfying. It's got the highest highs and the lowest lows. Yeah. Yeah. I'm having a ton of fun. And and the reason why I'm having a, a, a ton of fun is because that we're not talking about it. We're actually doing it. And I think that was just the hardest barrier to get over for, you know, the years that we were building and developing and meeting every week. And like, I mean, do we even have anything just going through different circumstances that, you know, at the end, once when we launched, I think the first thing you said is that, you know, you would have did things differently from the very beginning. And so... I guess learning all the different things that came to like, now we have a payment platform. Like we send payments. We have a business that does that. And, and I think to me, one of the really coolest things that happened and why I can say I love it is dealing with my first customer service call and being there to, I've never met this user before, never seen them, to be able for them to reach me, making sure that I was able to be reached, responding right away, being there to support them in that, and for them to get their money and going through that process and saying, hey, this is something that we built and we're able to do that. That was special. That was really special because, you know, for some people, yeah, getting your money and access to it is real easy. But there's a huge population in the world that it is not. It is not. 
and yeah, a huge population in the world do not does not have a lot of money. You know what I mean? More, more don't have it than do. One hundred percent do. And so, whenever there is an opportunity through for them to get their money, this is their money. Whether it's through work, whether it's through insurance, you know, it's it's theirs. Making sure that process for them is as seamless as possible. That it it's just it's it's natural, right? Like the way that you breathe is the way that you move money on Snap Refund and getting access to it and how you can pay and and just the world that we see that we can build and what we've what we've been learning, studying through theory, and then actually you know bringing it to real life. That that right there, I really enjoy. I enjoy that. This is like a real a real full-time PhD in, in the process. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's, that's crazy uh, to think too, like the acceleration of the learning It's you know, the more pressure of the situation, the faster you learn from it. And I think that applies not only just what's going on with my roles on the team, but even with you and a customer reaches out and they're saying they need their payment right away. Well, now all that customer service learning that you can do, it's going to happen that much faster because you have a real person on the other side putting their foot on the gas saying, I'm ready. Like, what's up? How do I do this? And I'm ready to help you. I, I want you to know I'm here to help you. There's, there's, there's nothing that you have to ever worry that I'm not here to help you because I am here to help you. You walk into some banks, they don't even want to see you, you it's know? True. I, no, I want to help you. Don't don't even worry about it. You know what I mean? If you come pure and there is no fraud tied behind it, which we can save for a whole new conversation, you know, because there are a lot of bad actors. The majority of the world is not bad actors, you know, but there are. You have to be ready for them, you know, but, but the ones that genuinely need help, I want to be there to help them. I want that process to be really simple and I want that process to be memorable where they remember it. And whatever it is they do, maybe when they interact with people, it it's a little bit more pleasant just because they got a chance to experience a pleasant experience. So I do have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, I mean, and you're really good at it. And I think that's really important you. for our team to utilize everyone's strengths as much as you can, because that's what really gives you like that secret factor. I wanted yeah. to ask you about innovation versus sales. Um, so... I'm curious. Let's play a little game. Okay. You and me. Let's say you have um, $2 million budget. You have $2 million in assets. Your startup just got seed funded, let's say. Or maybe even it just started up with $2 million from founder contributions. Uh, maybe their previous exit founders. Who knows? So business is starting. Blank slate. You have $2 million. Business could be anything. Let's just say it's a tech company, right? A SaaS business. What are you going to prioritize first and foremost? Let's say you're starting off with an idea. So you know you already want to build something. You know what that something is, but you haven't fully tested it yet in the market. You don't have any clients yet. So you have like no real sales yet. And your company is basically going in to take its first swing at whatever it is you're trying to build. How are you going to bust up that two milli? Are you going to focus more on R and D 
are more on sales. That's and it. That's you'll a, go and then I'll go. Yeah, that's a great question. And and for me, it's a no-brainer. I'm I'm a tech guy. I'm focusing on R and D. I'm I, what when I'm innovating and I'm I'm coming into space to fill a void. I don't really innovate just to jump in something that's already out there. I'm I'm jumping in to make something better. Um and really, you know, looking at at my previous businesses, it's always been some social aspect to it in improving society and just the way that we interact with each other and the opportunities that are presented. So so long story short, for that twelve two million now, I'm definitely gonna spend a good good budget on sales because that's the lifeline. But being a tech guy, being an innovator, there's nothing better than getting your hands dirty in, in the engineering room and just and, and churning something that, you know, whether it's on a board or it's in the, in the mind, coming to real life, that's what I do this for. You know, I haven't had the, I think there's, there's people that they have different opportunities and different experiences that they're like, oh, I can sell because maybe they're in better access to capital. And they know people that have capital. It's just easier to make these deals because everything is just being washed amongst themselves. That works for some people. But for people that come from really the bottom and nothing, you know, really it's just how can you make yourself into something and how can you do something that is coming to you? Because when you're innovating, the energy is coming from somewhere. You know what I mean? Whether you're reading it in a book, you're watching it on TV, you're learning from someone else, you know what I mean? That's being passed on to you. And so when it's your turn to pass it on, how can you pass it on in a really beneficial way for the user? And so for me, that's what I would do. I would focus on that. I'd I'd focus on that 10 out of 10 times because that's just me to the core. How about yourself? Yeah, I'll take the opposite stance in this one. Uh, In this example, the company already has a product that it thinks is the right product to build. Focusing, Wait, so stop. when you say a product that you think is the right product to build, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. So this company already knows what it thinks is like the right idea. And it has this 2 million. And the question is, how much are you breaking up between adding new things and testing, you know, essentially developing new things around this idea that is not yet tested in the market versus how much is going towards trying to acquire that market? So... I would say it's the opposite for me. I think the weakness of entrepreneurs quite often is the idea that you could do anything in any amount of time. And I think the market is kind of like the natural regulator of like what can really happen because whether or not you can build something super quick or it takes you 10 years, if no one's actually looking to buy that thing at the end of it, it's really only a hobby. So with my two mil, I'm going to put as much of it as I have to into the engineering team to make sure that it's built really solidly on time in the right way. And then I'm going to use as little as possible, but probably more, or maybe I should just say as much as is needed across lead generation sources and my sales experts try to bring in as many potential buyers as possible as it's being built so I can get as much feedback early and often as I can to make sure that we're 
making the product exactly what people need by the time it's done. So the question of who's going to buy it is a no-brainer. And we already know it's exactly what this group is asking for. That's how I would spend the two mil. I think I think we said the same thing. I just kind of did it like this. And you kind of just did it like this. But I think we're on the same page. Um, because at the end of the day, like you said, you got to put the resources to the engineering to build it out. You know, it's just what do I have? What do I, what, what? I think for in terms for this question is which process do I enjoy more? You know, and just the process of just research and development, I do enjoy that. And maybe it's because of the educator in me. I did used to be a teacher, you know, and it's actually just, you know, trial and error and discovering and, and all those is, is really a, a, a cool thing. And being able to share and, and teach, you know what I mean? Because what we do as well as, as R&D is we build it, then we have to teach how to use it. You know, and it's like, well, how are we teaching, right? So, no, I think this I think this was a really great conversation. I think it's important, you know, being a startup that we can share this with our listeners and let them really kind of get insight into what's going on it's 2023 february right we had our last podcast was in january and this is how it's going we're hoping that it, it the next one it it's going to be it's going to be more good news that we can share with you but it's always great to have you guys tuning in and listening to our podcast we really appreciate it cody what what do you have to leave with with just the experiences that we've really been through and and have gotten to this point that you can just share with other startup founders out there, others business business people out there, just out there really trying to innovate and do their thing and build something and build a company. They should not check something, out a company. Yeah, yeah. They should check out all the episodes of the Snap Refund podcast and get all those juicy insights. I think that's great. Well said. Excellent. Everyone, thank you for tuning in. Until next time. Thanks, guys. We'll catch you guys later. Peace.